0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com
1: slash excuse for free trial membership. And this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
0: Fifteen minutes long because that was the end. Wait. And also
1: (laughs) the beginning. We're going to talk about endings. This is (laughs) season four, episode 28. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we're going to talk about how to work backward. Specifically, we're going to talk about brainstorming endings and working backward to a beginning from that ending. Um, Well, what do we mean? Dan, this is your process. Tell us about it. Okay. Well, this is what I do. If you've seen my story
2: structure thing that's up on my website, this is essentially what I'm talking about. Um, When I sit down to do a story, I will first of all figure out what I want the story to be about so that I have some tools to work with. and then figure out what I want the ending to be, which will let me
1: know where to start. Because based on the ending that you want, the beginning is going to be completely different. Right. I've found that for me when I'm writing, my best endings come when I know what they are very far ahead of time. Um, I'm, I'm an outliner, though. It's really kind of interesting to me that both Dan and I... Um, Dan, who does a lot of um, multi-drafting, a lot of discovery writing, um, and I, who do you know, a lot of outlining, um, quite a bit of it, both approach endings the same way, which is we know what our ending is first, we figure it out, and then we work toward it. Dan, discovery writes his way that direction. I follow point by point that I've built in my outline for um, developing characters and um, bringing across um, plot points, but we both point target toward the ending. Howard, do you ever start with your ending? Yep. I, sorry, that was way too short
0: an answer, wasn't it? Well, we, well I was know, just, I was, I was casting my long. mind, yeah, <laughs> because I'm in a hurry and not very smart. The last uh, year or so of Schlock Mercenary, I've been, I've been telling uh, much shorter stories as part of a, a longer story. And I'd been thinking about, you know, well, how much do I know about the ending that I still haven't written when what's much more interesting is the endings that I've already put in place the ending of the uh, Kratamar storyline, the ending of the uh, the barsoom circus, the ending of the uh, uh, uh Mall Cop storyline, and all three of those uh before I started writing any of them I had I came up with the idea for the setting and I thought, okay now, what is the fun ending for that mm-hmm. and so I I came up with it. So you're looking for the fun. Uh, Yeah, well, um, yeah, I was looking for the fun. I was looking for, you know, the entertaining ending, That you know, what would be a fun, short-ish story to tell. And then I worked backward from that point. And because I'm working in a short format, um, the, uh, the, The foreshadowing and the there's a limited amount of foreshadowing and a much more limited amount of red herrings I can throw out. I've just got to be much
1: more compressed. Now now you mentioned those two things Um, one of the problems with working backwards like we do um, is that sometimes you might telegraph your ending way too much. Meaning um, if you are driving so powerfully toward this ending it may become very obvious to your reader what's going to happen which is not necessarily a good thing now Mm -hmm. in some genres it it can be Uh, there are a lot of genres that will very much telegraph what's going to happen and the readers enjoy following that telegraphing along and the twists and turns are made in a different way Um, the books that i like to read and the books i like to write don't do this uh, they telegraph sometimes, to make those promises. But in other, t- other ways, you aren't necessarily sure where the book is going to be going. You just have a feel that it is driving somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan, do you ever have troubles with this? Do you worry that you're telegraphing too much? Sometimes, um, partly because our, our writing group is very
2: similar. You know, that's one of the common things that will come up is, you know, someone will read a chapter and then they'll come to the group and say, this is where I think the story is heading which means that that's not where I want it to go. Right. And that's just how we all (laughs) tend to think. And so that, I'm sure, colors the way that we write. Mm -hmm. Um, If if I think that the ending is becoming too obvious, then one of two things has to happen. Either I need to back off on the hints, Mm -hmm. or I need to take it one step further and surprise you with a different, better ending after we've hit the one you saw coming.
1: You know, a lot of times those telegraphs, those hints that people are picking up, if if too many people are picking it up, sometimes you do just need to sit down and say, okay, what's the next next level and change your ending to allow what your original ending was going to be, to be your diversion. I've actually done that before, it works fantastically well. Um, Now, of course, to make that work, you need to add in even more subtlety in foreshadowing to make the other things work. Um, I've talked about a writer before being kind of like a magician with smoke, with smoke and mirrors. Yep. And a lot of a great ending depends on your ability to make those smoke and mirrors work, to distract your reader with things that they are sure are going to happen, and then with the things that they're kind of thinking will happen, and then completely surprise them with something that they didn't see out of coming at them, mm-hmm. but was pieces of the other things that they were expecting. Well, and that's, that's such a difficult balance because yeah. both of those are wonderful
2: reactions. Yeah. When a reader says... I totally saw that coming. That was awesome. Right.
1: Or when they say, I never saw that coming. That was awesome. Right. The best reactions I've gotten, the ones that, I, that make me really feel good is when someone starts to get it like about the page before. Where page before, they have the awakening and they have the <gasps> moment where they, where they say, and then on the next page, it comes true. They have figured it out. Yep. They are a smart That's, reader. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Yeah. And because... yet they didn't get
2: enough time yeah. to get bored with the idea. Yep. Right. And
1: then they, it just hits them, and it's exciting. That's what I love as a reader, when I can see that happening, um, and when I'm, I'm picking up a book, and I get it just right before, and have just a moment of either horror or surprise or awe before it hits. See, the problem I've got is that
0: I think I am writing that kind of fiction uh-huh. where you're going to get it just before the next installment but that means that you've got you know 4 days or 2 weeks of <laughs> yeah, waiting that's true. and so uh, and poor so Howard. yeah so people people sometimes will end up bored i find that uh, uh nobody ever gets bored reading schlock mercenary forget i ever said that the uh forums somebody was talking about how uh they thought you know this and such was going to happen mm-hmm. at the at the end of a particular story and I, I read that and had two reactions. Reaction number one was boy you're wrong and reaction number two was but the tone of voice you're using as you describe this makes me feel like you're going to be disappointed right. by being wrong. What am I doing wrong that I feel worried that you're going to be disappointed and it's a horrible horrible mental place for right. me to be in which is why I, I've stopped reading those sorts of <laughs> those sorts of posts
1: because they really don't help me. You've never read online somewhere where someone comes up with an idea for an ending that is just way better than yours, and you think, oh, I should totally use that. That has never
0: happened. I've had some—people have come up with some cool ideas, but they haven't been endings that could work for the, the book that I'm currently writing.
1: All right, I'll we're going to oh, uh, do our <laughs> book of the week. Um, I'm going to do it this time. I just finished reading Jim Butcher's uh, first, first Codex Alera book, and I absolutely loved it. It was a great book. It's called uh, Furies of the Calderon. Uh, the reason I liked it is I really liked his use of the magic system. Um, I also liked going into it knowing that he'd written the books half on a dare uh, to make Pokemon cool in a fantasy world. That's sweet. Um, and yeah, it's it's based on people who bond with these elemental creatures that um, give them powers, and they use that they can fight each other, or they, you know. Anyway, it's um it's a very good epic fantasy. The um, the fascinating thing about it for me is it actually is plotted like a thriller. So when you read it. You'll be very, it's interesting to watch an epic fantasy play out as a thriller. Um, It covers the space of about a day. Reads kind of like a Pratchett narrative as the the pacing goes. But instead of humor, you've got the epic fantasy. Um, So I highly recommend it. Uh, You can go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse and start your 15 day free trial. Um, And if you do um, download a book, you uh, support writing excuses. So thank you very much. All right, we're going to do something weird for the second half of this podcast. Uh, we want to try and do this, meaning we want to show you how we brainstorm coming up with a great and interesting ending for a story. So we are going to have producer Jordo throw two of his random odd news story ideas at us, and we are going to try to turn those into a story very quickly in seven minutes with characters and then come up with a great ending that, we'll, uh, that we could then work toward, which we'll talk about. And this may fail... Miserably. If it does, <laughs> then we'll Be cut the podcast here, and <laughs> it's been nine minutes long. Um, all right. Uh, producer Jordo, give it to us. All righty. Programmable matter could lead to Universal Toolbox. Programmable matter could lead to Universal Toolbox. Oh, you want both? Yep. Please. All right. They don't go together. Uh, German throws puppy at Hell's Angels bikers, then flees on bulldozer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, that's obviously a case of does, the programmable matter second, going wrong does, and does, producing a puppy instead of a knife. <laughs>
0: that's, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's you've, you've got, you've, we've got a magic we've got a magic system right there. We've got we've got programmable matter okay. where you
1: have the ability to uh, to disguise a thing as okay. another thing. All right, you can mm-hmm. program matter to change into something else um, at a given time or given place. All right, right. and and we also have it going.
2: Catastrophically wrong. You ask it for a knife and a Harley, and it gives you a puppy and a bulldozer.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. So um, is it self aware programmable matter, or is there some bug in the system that we don't understand that you try to program something There's and it gives no, you? No,
0: see, that may be your ending right there. Okay. Is that uh, it's glitching, it's going bad, you know, this tool is, is going bad,
1: and, and it is self aware. Okay. Okay. There's there's ending. There's a cool reveal. Number one. Um, I've seen that done enough times that I'm worried about it. Okay. Uh, the, so the, let's make but, that let's make that an early reveal. Okay. There we back it up. People assume mm-hmm. that it's going that it's gone sentient, but something else is going on. We need a character. Um, who is our character in the world of programmable matter? That is, well, let's let's back up. Is it going wrong randomly, or is it going wrong in, um, in an expected way? Can you anticipate I, I, it?
2: I am in, I'm intrigued by the idea that it is going wrong seemingly random but that there's a pattern to it. Okay, that Secret there's pattern. no reason for the objects you request to keep coming out as puppies and yet you keep getting
1: things along those same lines. All right, so there's some sort of mathematical or Con, um, confusing thing going on that you'll ask for, um, you know, a light bulb, and instead you get a pomegranate. But there's some reasoning that you have to figure out. And so our main character, therefore, is pattern recognition, um, sort of uh, a mathematician, a, a, a statistician, maybe. Yeah, he's 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 a statistician.
0: He's sort of a uh, to borrow from, uh, borrow from uh, Tom Clancy, he's your, your Jack Ryan sort of character. All right. He's an analyst. He's a data cruncher, and he sees, he okay. sees the patterns. He's a civil
2: engineer.
1: I'm going to um, throw a wrinkle into him to use the original premise and say he's also a Hells Angel. Why is he a Hells Angel? Is this a weekend warrior sort of thing, or is he you know, a failed mathematician who decided to go biking on the road and escape the corporate society? Or who is he? I like the second one. Okay. All right. I think We're, he's
0: got... He's a collegiate, you know, post-doctorate, whatever uh, mathematician who has thrown it all away because in the light of where society has gone with this programmable matter, he's just better off on his bike, you
1: know, on out the, the dunes. Okay. All right. So we've got someone who either invented it or maybe for some reason he's ex- vitally important to what's going on here. Um, we And... Everything starts to break loose. So um, I'm,
2: I'm assuming yeah. from this premise that we have a fairly widespread technology then. This yeah. is not, you know, one guy or one company has
1: created programmable matter, but it's everywhere. And it suddenly goes on the fritz. Okay. Um, suddenly, you it's,
0: know. You, no, in, in terms of making it ubiquitous, it's ubiquitous in the same way that, as of right now, iPads are ubiquitous. Okay. Okay. It's, it's okay. brand new. It's brand new consumer tech. And it's like, like the headline originally said, it's the universal toolbox. Yep. It's, a, it's a box and you reach into it and you, you, you pull just, out a block you, and you mm-hmm. get a thing. Yeah. That, you know, based on what you key in and Not everybody
1: has wrong. it, but you probably know someone who does. Yeah, yeah. all those um, s- snobby um, early adopter Mac types that, um, I mean, I love you all, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Except these are snobby early adopter craftsman tool types. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, you you can... Ultimate toolbox would be anything. You yeah. don't have to yeah. be a yeah. screwdriver. Right. You could, I mean, you could be programming yourself, uh, you know, I want a Doberman or whatever you want. And Um, if
2: it is producing puppies for no reason, then at least there won't be a food shortage.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. What happens if you eat what it makes? Have we thought about that? Is it programmable? Is the matter programmable?
1: Or is it? I say you can program it with radio waves um, wirelessly. So someone could eat it and it would remain what it is until someone hits it with the right radio wave and it changes into something else inside of you. And suddenly there's a live puppy in your esophagus. The iPad craftsman tool diet. (laughs) Oh my word. You eat an ice
0: cream, you, you have a big old ice cream, and then you turn it to lettuce in your gut.
1: Oh, wow. That's genius. Uh, we need to trade I've just, f- I just yeah. figured there out my go.
0: application for it. Okay. But we need, we need an ending. I know. I see.
1: It's also, it's also explosives. I mean, or, you know, mm-hmm. military. It's an, an assassination it tool. <laughs> yes. Here,
0: have some ice cream.
1: Puppy it's guy. also <laughs> it's a grenade. <laughs> okay. Well, we need our ending. Um, people assume that it's gone, gone sentient. They're wrong. That's a red herring. Um, in order to make that work, we need to make it someone credible advance that um, theory and have several things that lead them to come up, lead them to assume it. That's mm-hmm. our kind of hand-waving. But one of the things we're going to do is we're going to leave some flaws that once the main character points out what the flaws are, they become obvious. That throw tosses down that theory. Um, so what is, what is really going on here? What's our ending? What's our climax? Okay, let, let,
2: let's, let's build toward it. Let's okay. say, for example, that uh, some of these early hints that we are building that lead people towards the intelligence idea is not so much that it is artificial, but that a pre existing intelligence was grafted into it. Okay. Um, you know, one of the scientists who worked on it, who happened to have a, a deep and abiding love for puppies and bulldozers, um, <laughs> they think that his consciousness <laughs> may now be inside of whatever central hub is controlling this technology which is leading them to think, oh, that's, that would explain these patterns. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that the patterns are actually based on something else. Howard.
0: Uh, well, you said central hub. You said central hub. That's mm-hmm. fascinating. It could be that one of our reveals is that these kits that are being distributed to people, which you think are self-contained, are not, in fact, self-contained. That in order for your programmable matter to work, it has to have a connection to the central hub and something... Has gone wrong at the, you know, at the central hub that that you know the average consumer didn't know was there, and so then you've got sort of your insidious, uh, you know, corporate mm-hmm. conspiracy, whatever, which can also be a red herring. Well, you know, of
2: course, the central hub is a secret because they're using
1: it as spyware to monitor you and your choices of pro- programmed matter. See, what I'm going to wa- the way I build this is first assumption that um, that characters in the world would make would be that. It's on the fridge randomly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Then they would start to see a conspiracy. They would move into some sort of conspiracy. And then maybe even that, you know, whole sentience thing. Um, In the end, I would want to, if we're going to do this wirelessly, I would want to tie it into somehow radio waves, specifically certain types of music with certain types of beats, are creating certain types of creations when you push the button. So if Ricky Martin happens to be playing, when you push the button, you get puppies and if um, you know, if uh, I wonder, just, everyone's getting puppies. <laughs> you, you
0: just you just rickrolled our book. Didn't yeah, you, I mean, you, you Rick just rickrolled Astley. our book. No, I mean, you, so that's someone, actually a great ending. Yeah, someone for a rick-rolled. book that came out last
1: year. <laughs> <laughs> it's time traveling book, and so therefore that's your surprise. 2009
0: ending. called. They want their ending back. <laughs>
1: No, I think it would be Witch. interesting if the if it were partially something random, <laughs> but it were also something man-made, and so you could your random seed then is what music happens to be passing through at the time. Okay, uh, is there a character arc for our, our biker dude? Yes, um, but I. But don't we think don't we do have it time. yet. And um, Dan, uh, oh, writing prompt. What is the writing character prompt. arc for our biker dude? That is a great writing prompt. We planned that all along. And that was and our own. And we twist went ending. back and foreshadowed it in the beginning of the <laughs>
2: podcast.
0: Fifteen minutes long because you need to write about a motorcycle and
1: it's actually eighteen minutes in. So. All right. Well, there you go. This has been Writing Excuses. Next time we promise not to throw any puppies at bulldozers.